to another episode of the NRL All-Stars Podcast. This is Barnsley, back for week two of the finals. It is the Talking Footy episode. Uh, we don't have any more Supercoach episodes. As everyone knows now, Supercoach is well and truly done and dusted, but the weekly Talking Footy episodes will come out every week to talk everything rugby league, but particularly the finals, because that's what we're in the middle of right now, and there's certainly an exciting finals series, and it's a certainly a very exciting time for rugby league. Luke Garrity hasn't been on board for oh, about four or five weeks. Always great to get him on, especially when it's a big week of footy because I'm sure he's got some polarising opinions to throw out there. Can't really talk about the Knights too much either, so I'll keep him on leash for everyone. But Luke, how are you feeling, mate? How are you liking the finals? How have you been going the last four or five weeks since we chatted? Oh, mate, very excited. That's um, I, I think uh, I was really glad you asked me on. I've got that as the best week one of the finals I can remember watching. So I, I loved it. Uh, I had an absolutely great time watching it. The the only silver lining to going for a really bad team is that you don't go into the finals under any stress. Like I was able to just sit back and watch all four games without any actual, you know, investment in who won them. Um, no super coach either. So you can just sit down and really actually enjoy what's happening and not worry about which centers making too many runs or what the hell the Knights are doing. Um, so it, I, I loved it. I really, really loved it. I'm looking forward to talking Um in depth about all the games and, and what's coming up. Cause it's got, I think it's a fantastic final series. I think the results really opened uh, up a few weird things in the draw moving forward that make it quite a, you know, unique final series or an, a hard to pick final series moving forward. Yeah, I think so too. I, I really enjoyed it as well. And I enjoyed it for a lot of reasons. I think it was good quality. Um, we did like all the teams that were heading into the top eight. I think most people thought it was a, a good quality top eight, which is always important. Uh, mm. I, and I mean, look, I got most of my predictions wrong last week when we were looking at it, which is probably an indication of how good it is, because if you can't really tell who's going to win on any given day, it probably speaks to how good it is. Uh, and it had a bit of everything on the weekend as well, which we'll talk about because had the controversy as well and, and all different things. But look, I will say probably one of the things though that did take away from it a little bit, and look, it's a rugby league thing. You can't just sort of say, oh, that's bad because it's going to happen in footy. I, I did say a week ago and a week before, I do hope that the final series isn't handicapped a little bit by injuries, um, the best players not being on the field, send-offs, sin bins and that sort of thing. We had a whole heap of that all over. But the first game was the Penrith Panthers versus the Eels, and, you know, it, it happened in this game. Um, certainly, Panthers probably would have gone on with it anyway. But Mitchell Moses went down, uh, didn't return. Jake Ar- Arthur came on. I thought it was in- unfortunate for everyone. It was obviously unfortunate for Parramatta, but uh, unfortunate for Moses because he'd had a really good year. But unfortunate for Arthur because, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit in two minds about him. Like, he he played terribly. There's no other way around it. He did play terribly. Um, you can say he's a reserve grade halfback but look it's not his fault that's probably his talent level and he's meant to be a reserve grade halfback and most of the time when reserve grade halfbacks get put into a finals game they're probably going to get found out by the best team in the comp and that's what happened like he missed two two tackles immediately the let's tries and to kick the ball out on the full next and just it had a really unlucky time and Penrith obviously went on 27 to 8 and won that one now I don't want to focus on this as being the, the reason why Parra lost, because certainly, you know, they were down by, I think it was a try at the time anyway. Um, but 
you know, it was a tight contest. It was seven, six at the half. Um, Mitchell Moses definitely hurt them. And I think that Parramatta's ability to come back or just compete for a closer matchup uh, really went out the window when Moses went off for me. Yeah, that, that definitely hurt them. Uh, they were down by seven at the time and immediately afterwards, like straight away before anyone touched, they even touched the ball again, uh, Cleary set up that grubber try, I think it was, for um, for might have been Edwards. So I, I sort of count that as being down by 13 because... It, I think that was on. Moved, I think that was on Arthur, though, yeah. wasn't it? Arthur, like no, 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 it wasn't that one. Like they they kicked back to the midfield with a sort of a setup, like a um, it was a set play where they kicked back infield. Like it was. Th- I've got it as thirteen before the Moses being off had an influence, um, but uh, yeah, I don't think it would have blown out like that. It, it's an unfortunate one with Jacob Arthur because I I really don't like him either, and it's a little bit unfair because when you look back on these things, what you find out is you often dislike or get a attitude towards players because you think they shouldn't be picked. And ultimately that's actually not his fault. Actually the person you should dislike is Brad Arthur, not because um, he doesn't pick himself. And I don't think Jacob Arthur should put his hand up and say, don't pick me. Um, But it's becoming embarrassing. It's becoming very embarrassing that he keeps picking his son like this because he's not at this stage of his career a first grader. And it's all very well to say, oh, well, they needed a halfback to come on. And so wasn't it good he was there? And well, no, seriously, like they could have put Bryce Cartwright on the bench and he would have done a better job in the halves than what they they got there. Um, If they need to cover that eventuality, they can move Gutho to the halves and pick it back on the bench or whatever it might be. He is so bad at filling in in that role that it's not worth carrying a specialist there. The specialist has to be able to actually play and he's not up to it at the moment. He's too, he's very big and slow. Um, He struggles every time he's got on and I'm not here to just bag him out. It's just his dad should not be picking him there and it's getting embarrassing. And I, I understand why para fans have been very frustrated about it this year. I, I would be livid if it was happening. You know, um, you know. imagine if the Knights had Matthew or Andrew Johns coaching and they just kept picking Jack Johns every week. Like, it, I'd be furious. Like, it, it's, it's, it's that sort of scenario. It's a guy who shouldn't really be there and wouldn't be there if his relative wasn't coaching. Um, but I, I enjoyed the game. Um, I will say that I, I'm going to crow early. And I'm going to be happy. You can be very happy for you to have me back on later in the finals if they come good. But midway through this year, you had me on this pod. You said Parramatta are going well. What do I think? And I said, no, they're no chance. I don't care how well they're going. They will bottle it in the finals. They always do. We're going to talk about it. them as being good all year. We're going to get into the semis and they're going to stuff it. Um, easy to put it on Moses being injured, but I will take case in point that we are well on the route for that happening at the moment. Um, and I still see them going out uh, in the middle at the very least in the prelim, but probably next week, which has been the problem for years there. Um, it's hard to know whether it's the players, whether it's the coach or what it is, but I just don't rate them in semifinals football um, and they don't get it done. And it's worth noting with Penrith, that's now two wins out of their last five or six games v para, but all of them have been in the finals. And it's just, there's a reason for that is that Parramatta are just for whatever reason, this generation has never marked up and played well in the semifinals. Yeah, and it's hard for me to disagree. I guess if I'm going to play devil's advocate, like one of the things with this game is that under the current system, you've obviously got the best teams playing each other and they they drew the best team in the in the competition, mm. in the Penrith Panthers. So, I mean, even if Parramatta were, were having a different year or bucking the trend, they'd still probably have a good shot at losing against the Penrith Panthers if they're firing. Um, and that ended up being the case anyway. I, I think really... 
It's a fair point, but they do keep beating them every time they don't play them in the finals. Like well, that's true as well. The, uh, that is true as well. The only team that's beaten Nathan Cleary in club football outside of the grand final versus Melbourne in like two or three years. Yeah, it's a very um, fair point because in the regular season, they do beat the top teams uh, and they've got a habit of doing that and getting up for those. I didn't think that they weren't up for this one. I just think that they got completely outclassed in the last 20 minutes going home. And they just, mm. with Moses off, and I, again, I don't mean to labour the point because I don't completely blame it on that at all. But with him off, I just thought they had absolutely no chance I thought that they needed his yeah. direction um his kicking game and and really him to make some things happen and it just didn't happen for them but yeah. but in saying that like I, I actually think that this this week is a litmus test for what you said on whether it's the same old power or not like they lose mm. this week 100% like you just jump on the bandwagon of what you said before and it's you know they're, they're just the same old power matter and a lot more questions need to be asked well there has been if they win this weekend um you can maybe start to say well you know if they play well this weekend and they win maybe they are turning the corner a little bit because they did play Penrith Panthers. They did lose Moses this week against lesser opposition. They've managed to do what they should be doing as a top four side and put them away and move on to the next week. And you can kind of wait a little bit. And that's probably what I, what, where I'm at after that game. Yeah, that, that's fair enough. Um, I will say I, I've always had that view of them. So I'm going to stick to it um, and I'm not going to, that fence it on it and I'm happy to get slagged if they end up making the grand final or something but um not to sit on the fence I will say this draw is as open as it possibly could be for them now um the way the results went they will not get a better chance to go to the grand final than to play Canberra who are playing good football but snuck in um and to then play the Cowboys in the prelim um Cowboys fantastic season um a lot of good players in the Cowboys side but when, when you look at the man for man um Parramatta should be able to compete with them. And they're an inexperienced team. They've got experienced players, but as a team, they, they are inexperienced, the Cowboys. Like that core of players don't have a years of experience playing together to fall back on. Um, and that does matter in semifinals. And it always makes a difference having a core of players that are used to each other. And they're, they're having a really good season. Um, and I'm not suggesting that's an easy prelim, but every prelim is hard. And as far as prelims go, if you look over the last five years to make a grand final, you've often had to go through peak Melbourne, you know, like really good Melbourne, really good Penrith or a year or two further back are really like that peak East side. Um, you usually had to go through two of them. Um, At least, you know, you would draw one of those three teams in the prelim over the last five years. And if you didn't beat them, you wouldn't get in. So it was a really big effort to make a grand final. I've just got the Cowboys a bit below that level. So Mm. it's, if they're going to do it, that the draw has opened up to give them the best opportunity that they could have in, in the last few years, because the last few years, they've always had to play week two or three. They would have always had to play someone pretty elite. So, um, it's if they think they can do it, um, and they should on paper. Then this, this is a ch- this is a real chance because they should beat those those teams. If it was a regular season, I would back them to beat both of those teams. Yeah, a hundred percent agree with you there as well. Um, when we're looking at the numbers in this game, Parramatta completed at sixty eight percent possession, and that was twenty seven completed sets to Penrith's thirty five. You know that's that's always going to make it difficult in semi final football. Mm. Uh, the other thing that really stood out for me is, you know, previewing this game, I thought that Parramatta really had a pack that could get over the top of Penrith. Mm. Uh, And I certainly think they still got the talent to, but it didn't eventuate really. Uh, The Penrith pack really stood up. Total metres for the game, just not not just the forwards, 1,759 for Penrith, 1,340 
for the Eels on almost equal possession between the two sides. Mm. But when you break that down to the forwards, um, it's apparent that the, the Penrith forwards were motoring through. And, and Parramatta weren't really having the impact in the middle that I thought that they would have. Now, I'm not just talking about the big boppers, Luke. Uh, I was also slightly disappointed in Lane and Papali'i. Um, certainly, I don't think they played terrible, but they didn't have the impact that you would have hoped. Uh, so I, I think that a lot of the battle was actually lost in the forwards for them. Uh, and then obviously the the completions, which some of it might be down to Mitchell Moses not being there for the final 21 minutes of the game as well. But those two factors, uh, I think, is what they need to improve on from that game. Yeah, I would agree with that. The Moses stuff accentuates it. They were losing. I don't think they would have won if he stayed on, but I don't think they would have got flogged like that. Um, and one of the reasons is it, that people underestimate what a big impact kicking has on metres that forward make. 100%. Because, you know, um, Moses is... It's actually one of the reasons I don't mind Parra against Penrith is Moses is one of the few people with a good enough kicking game to repeat what Cleary's doing, where they get it on about the 40-metre line and are able to kick all the way down and land it on the 10 and force that team to spend the next five tackles coming out of trouble without momentum. Um, whereas a lot of other teams, and just to use an example, it's one criticism I have of Cronulla is, say, when Hines and Moylan kick from about the 40, you often get the fullback catch it on the 25 or 30 and then motor it back with that first play and the whole set takes off for everyone. Um, and with Moses is a guy that can be that sort of cleary guy putting it on the 10 metre line and, and losing him, I, I, it makes a big difference. You're going to get run over a bit, but it's not a full excuse. I agree. I thought the edge forwards didn't do as much. I thought Dylan Brown was very quiet. Um, having had a really good game against Penrith early in the season um, when they had a good win. And yeah, they've, they've, you know, that's the benefit of coming in the top four. You get to have an off day uh, and stay alive, but they have to, I, if I was coaching them, I'd be having a really good look at that tape and saying, you know, there's some guys in there with some big names who have had really good seasons that had one of the quietest, not, not bad games, just quiet games. And you can't do that now. <laughs> That's, no, you, especially yeah, against Penrith yeah, like You that. can't do it. You can't do it in the finals when you've got to be at your best. And too often their best players haven't had their best games in finals. Gutho's another one. Um, and they have to be a lot better than that very quickly. They've got to turn that around because Canberra can match them in the forwards. It's um, it, It's one area that they won't get away with that again this week either. They have to be good in the forwards. Yeah, and when we're talking about Penrith in this one uh, to run the comb over them and their performance, it also says what Parramatta did poorly. Uh, the back mm. three for Penrith, Toto had 25 runs, Edwards 20, uh, and then May had 14. The back three beat every single one of the back three of Parramatta. The next best under 14 runs of May was Sebo at 13 runs. And then, you know, Wanga Blake obviously had an absolute shocker. And aside from his actual <laughs> hands, and sh- he probably should have been getting the old-fashioned hook, and he would have if he were 10 years earlier playing that game. Only had 10 runs himself. Gutherson only ran the ball seven times. Now, it's that, that really speaks to how bad the back three were compared to the back three of Penrith. But it also... You know, Brian Toto is someone who hasn't been in the best form this year. Even leading in, he hasn't been running as much and his metres haven't been as good. He scored a double, had massive metres, massive runs. Edwards did what Edwards does and did the same. Uh, So it was a really good performance. And when we're talking about May being, you know, better than all of Parramatta's back three with 14 runs, he only played 60, 60 minutes. He missed the last 20. So it's pretty damning. But the big thing out of it, I think, was um, Nathan Cleary. Now, I, I did think that 
Luai would have been under pressure with lack of football. I don't think that he was great. Um, I was a proponent to actually play him leading into the finals because I thought that he needed the reps. Uh, but Nathan Cleary in that second half, particularly once Moses was off, really took after, and he went—he—he he really took off, and he went after Arthur for sure. Arthur had a terrible miss where Cleary ran through. Cleary's stats—you know, one line break, two try assists, one line break assist—and he did a lot of his damage in that second half to really put an exclamation mark on the win in that one. Um, fantastic second half, in particular from particular from Cleary. Uh, he was, you know, probably. One of the best, you know, semi-final performances I think we've seen from him. I think we could probably say that. Yeah, I agree. Um, he was fantastic. He's a fantastic player. Uh, anyone who thinks Charlie Cherry Evans is still better than him, just uh, I don't know what you're watching. It's I can't believe that's a debate. He's the best halfback in the competition by a long way. Um, he he was really good. Uh, he did target the weakness in Parramatta, and that's what good players do. Uh, too many players today just run the set play that they're coached to train and they don't look at who's across for them or what's happening. And, and it, it, it sounds really basic, but it's an old school thing that we see less and less of is that Cleary is actually looking up at who he's marking and who's on the other team and targeting it. Once Wonga dropped one, he just kept kicking to him. Uh, he doesn't just kick it somewhere else because that was the game plan. And once Arthur came on, they just went at him and went at him. And you, you don't go at him once and then run your set play to the other side. You go at him 20 times if he can't tackle. Um, exposing weakness is what good players do. It's not all about finding holes in the best def- perfect defence. It's about actually targeting the weak spots. Um, and he was relentless at the weak spots in Parramatta. He, he really was. Um, I think the other thing I wanted to mention out of that game just quickly was that before Moses went off, I, I just have to rack on what a great transition he's had um, in defence because uh, albeit he got that tackle terribly wrong on kick out, when, when he came through, he was one of the worst defensive halves we've probably seen in a long time when he was really mm. young at the Tigers. And they used to be a real joke about him and Brooks getting thrown off and stuff, like teams just scoring on the Tigers by running over him on the try line. He'd put his body up and just get thrown off. Um, and he has come so long, so far throughout his career in defense that he handled kick out really well repeatedly. Um, he got that tackle wrong, but, you know, he, he, he went low and made his tackles on him repeatedly and they kept trying to get over him and they never did. He, made, he did a really good job there. And I just wanted to mention it because that doesn't just happen. Um, it, you have to really work at your game to get good at defence. That, it, it, that is only work and effort and, and a bit of bravery. And he's gone from being one of the worst halves in the comp to a guy who handled probably the best attacking second rower in the game all night against the best team in the comp. And he, he, that, you can only do that if you put the work in. Uh, it's not something that just happens as a defender. You don't just get better. It's a really valid point. And I will say too, one of the big things with Moses when he was coming in is that he, he had the trifecta of a bad a bad defender. Like if you got one of the three attributes, it's going to be not great defense from you. But he had the trifecta going. He was small. He went in soft and had like a, a poor defensive attitude where it looked like he didn't want to get hurt mm. or he was scared. And three, he had bad technique. You know, you, you throw all those three things into a player and it's remarkable that you even stay in the NRL. Now, he had the ability to be playing at the Tigers who weren't that good at the time, so they were going to persist with him. Uh, but he 100% year on year at Parramatta since he's gotten there 
has worked very hard on his defence and it's been very evident to, I wouldn't even say like blame the technique on the weekend on him because that can happen to anyone because if somebody steps or moves, it's very hard to adjust, especially like I said to so many people so many times, like I don't know how, how players can be expected to change where they hit someone high or, or hit someone wrong, you know, a metre out because I've, I always had my eyes closed. Like when you're mm. going in for an impact of a tackle, a metre out, you, you close your eyes and you go in, you know. So, I mean, if, if someone steps like kick out, you know, that, that's sort of unfortunate stuff can just happen. But it is a really valid point. Um, and I, I reckon that he deserves a lot more credit than what he's probably gotten in that side of it because I think everyone focuses on the attack with Mitchell Moses. Where do you see, uh, how, how do you see that Penrith performance just finishing on this game? Do you see it as this is a side that we thought was going to win the premiership and they look just as good as they always have? Do you think that they were solid, but, you know, maybe not quite up to the peak that we thought they might be and some of the other sides can roll them off and they might not get to the grand final? I can't see them getting beaten this year. It's the only thing that I don't like. I think everything else is really open, but I just don't see anyone betting Penrith. I thought it probably had to be Parramatta. Um, I thought Moses kicking, I didn't think they would, but I thought that they have the game to with their forward pack and with the kicking of Moses. I thought they were the ones to knock them off. I find it hard to see uh, a team like Cronulla or the Cowboys managing it with the way they play. Um, and, you know, usually you've got to be in the top four to, to go deep. Um, South. You know, uh, I think Souths are a little bit behind where they were last year. I guess on their day, they're a possibility. But I I just don't – I find it hard to see anyone getting them. I mean, Canberra just beat Melbourne and have been on this wild hot streak where they lost three games in the back half of the year. And they didn't even beat Penrith without Cleary and Luai. So, you know, I I just think the gaps – that's the one thing. I think the gap's a bit big. I I would be – I would be stunned if they don't win the competition. It would be a big – it would be a – Big F up from them to not win this. I think from here they they really should win it. Yeah, I I thought the Roosters had what it takes to to take it off them, but they're obviously not here anymore. And we're going to talk about that later when we get to that game. But uh, I will finish off on this one before we move on, just to say that I mentioned the Fords before. Look, uh, certainly I think the the middle Fords um, and, and the Fords in general outplayed Parramatta, but. Uh, I will say that I thought Paulo was a lot better than what he has been. Um, he had 20 runs and three mm. offloads. And Madison gave him a lot off the bench, uh, which kind of says to me that they probably should just start him for 80 minutes and stop this whole benching thing. But, you know, maybe mm. we'll see what happens this week. Um, let's talk about that Canberra game that you mentioned. Uh, Canberra 28, Melbourne 20. And, you know, it probably it, it's it's probably the biggest upset of the week, I think. Uh, obviously there was, you know, some other upsets that you could talk about, like the Roosters going down, but but this one didn't really have any mitigating factors either. You know, um, sure, Hughes went down, but he still played bulk minutes. Um, and really, I think even if Hughes wasn't in the game, I think that a lot of people would have picked Melbourne to still win at Amy Park versus the Raiders in eighth spot. Yeah. But, you know, the Raiders really came to play. Um, it's interesting too, because I I thought coming into this that the Storm would win off the back of the Raiders not being able to score very much out wide and that being one of Melbourne's good weaknesses to target. Um, The try scorers, you know, we had a couple of outside backs and really I think it was four line breaks through their outside backs. So Canberra managed to do that. And I also thought that their, their stars from Melbourne would step up and be far too much because I don't think that Canberra has any stars of that magnitude that are able to take over games. Now, if you look at someone like Cameron Munster's numbers, um, they look all right. Uh, a line break assist, a try assist, certainly worked hard, uh, was at fullback, 25 runs, four offloads. 
uh, decent numbers. But Luke, I have to say, like I sort of sometimes in attack, I didn't really see him creating enough for one thing. But the worst thing was in defence. He got shown up like three times, especially really poorly at, at fullback. And not necessarily, you know, some of it was a bit more subtle, like where he was positionally. But that first try that Timiko scored, I I was surprised that more people didn't mention it. I thought that was awful from Munster. And it was like he went in to steal the ball um, and to play at the ball rather than to go in and hit Timiko. And that let Timiko go over and score a try. And I thought that that was really poor from him. Um, And I saw inklings of that type of performance and uh, I don't want to say attitude, but kind of in that game with him at fullback. And it did make me question whether Bellamy moving him to one um, that, you know, a month ago or whatever it was, was actually a good idea because defensively and positionally a few times, he he looked really out of it and he didn't really look like he was, um, he, he was going to be able to take that game and win it, which ultimately he didn't. Uh, how did you see it? Yeah. So I, I tipped Canberra. Um, so I did. T- I, I thought they'd win. Um, I don't rate the Storm this year at all. I, I really don't. I think that there's a residual sort of carryover. It takes a while to recognise that teams aren't as good as they once were. And we, we saw it with the Roosters after the two back-to-back years. That they fell off a little bit for a couple of years, but everyone was just like, oh, yeah, they're the Roosters. They'll be right. And, that, that, you know, they weren't. Last year they were bottom half of the eight and went out fairly quick. And it's it sort of... Um, it's similar with Melbourne that there's this carryover this year that like the Roosters, they keep flogging bad teams because they're still good. They've still got enough good players. And East are coming back now, I should say, but over the last two years, they've been off that championship pace and Melbourne are the same. They're nowhere near, they haven't been anywhere near the races in the second half of this year. But every time they flog a bad side, we just go, oh, they'll be back and they're going to be right for the finals. But when you look through the team, I mean, (laughs) The forward pack, Jesse Bromwich hasn't played well for a long time, a long time. Um, Nelson's had a good final series. Kenny Bromwich is okay. Tui Kamika Mika's in the starting side. You know, he used to be a bit part player, played 10 minutes off the bench. Um, Kafusi's a long way past his bench at best. And you've got Josh King's been playing big minutes all year. He couldn't make the Knights team last year. You've got Nick Meany playing in the halves, who was playing on the wing for the Bulldogs last year there are some holes in that team they've still got some good players but they've been off the pace for a long time and and I thought Canberra would probably go there and beat them in a close game mainly because Canberra play a type of football that Melbourne haven't been prepared to play the last two months there's been shortcuts um Mm. I've watched games where Munster short kicked twice and failed to get it to go 10 when they really just needed to back their defense there's been a lot of low percentage passing when they half go through breaks. There's been games where I thought they could come back and make a fight of it. And they've looked for sort of cheaper options for the first time because they don't have that calm confidence. They always had that it will be okay. They used to just grind away and you knew they'd get that, get the result weight. And they've been a lot more panicky. And the thing about Canberra is, is that I, I, I hate them as a finals opponent. I never think they'll win the comp. And they sometimes miss the finals. Um, but when they're in the finals, you know, they will just be hard to beat that they always come, they always fight for every little thing. They're going they to compete, they, they? they? don't give you anything. And they get, they get, we, uh, me and my mate call them Canberra tries where they find ways to score that look odd that, that weren't planned. Um, mm. Like that, because they, they put a grubber in and they score because they all 
they all don't give up on it or they when they finally do throw an offload and make a line break everyone backs up they just do all those little things and it finds them it tends to find them a couple of tries in a tense final atmosphere um that it doesn't during the year as much you can't be up like that every week but they always get up in those finals and i've thought melbourne has been very flaky this year um i think harry grant's one to mention you mentioned munster i I think harry grant's yet to play a good final and i love harry grant by the way i think he's a great player Mm. but um, people have just gone, oh, they've got Cameron Smith. And then they go, oh, they've got Harry. He's great too. And they've, they've not put that, that, that same torch hasn't put on, been put on him like it would be if he played for a, a crap team that he needed to carry. Um, and the reality is he hasn't had it. He was really poor against Penrith in the final, the prelim last year. He couldn't get him over the line again yesterday. And that's not to say he won't get better, but there's just, uh, where there's been this assumption that Melbourne will just keep on keeping on. And, they don't have those same guys anymore. That's a different generation of guys. Their best player is Cam Munster, who is is a lot looser and a lot more individual than than the sort of team-led stars they had before. And I think they've got their work cut out of them. I think they'll struggle again next year. They'll probably be worse. They're losing a lot of forwards. They don't have a lot coming in. And I, yeah, I'm, sorry, I'm not sitting here to bag them out too badly. I just don't think they've been that good all year. And I wasn't surprised they lost because they're just they've just been soft, to be honest with you, like a lot. Yeah, I agree with that as well. I think that they have been soft. I, I wouldn't, like, I'm surprised that they lost because they were playing Canberra, who I think are good, but a, but a tier below. Uh, and that's not to say that I think that, I don't think Melbourne would have gone any further. Like, I think that they were yeah. losing the rest of the finals games after this week. But I thought that they would have beat the Raiders. Um, having said that, you raised some really good points around that game and why they lost it. Certainly, um, I thought that guys like, Hughes, Grant and Munster were enough star power to get them across the line, but they just weren't. And it just, and the Raiders gritted it out and played really hard and they fully deserved the victory. Remarkable thing with this game is that all the numbers actually look almost exactly the same. It doesn't matter what you look at. It it, it indicates a draw just about when you're having a look at it all. Um, but that's the type of game the Raiders like, right? So if you're going to play a game like that and you're going to be even with the Raiders, then you're giving the Raiders the type of match that they want. And it seems like it seemed like that's exactly what the Storm ended up doing. They handed the Raiders the type of game that they wanted. Uh, and that also took the crowd out of it at Amy Park, I think. I think the Raiders really got over the top of that. Yeah, that's right. You get that in set. That's why I just hate, I hate, I would hate to play against them in a final because you do get, these games are always tense. And they are tight and everyone does clamp up a bit. And you tend to get the sort of game they like more often than not. You don't get a lot of, we're about to talk about one, but you don't get many 30-30 games in the the finals and the Raiders don't win them. But when it's tense and tight, they compete. And and I think they're they're a bad match for Melbourne because they're good at what Melbourne has lost now. Like what Canberra are is hard with mobile, powerful forwards not giving you an inch. So I sort of saw this game that Canberra were going to have a much better forward pack and Melbourne were going to have more class but have to do it off the back foot um, and have to do it with less opportunity to get it there. And, and I think it did play out a bit like that. I sort of at various points thought Canberra were dominating, but the scoreboard hadn't jumped out. And then Melbourne would just do something. Like, you know, one of the tries they scored down the sideline was phenomenal uh, where Coates scored under the post. And stuff like that would just come out of nowhere when they were off the on the back foot and keep Melbourne alive. But it just, you know... It just wasn't quite enough. Um, I think the big takeaway, I've had a bit of a go at the Melbourne guys, and I didn't mean to. I, I love Munster, and I thought he had it. I still thought he had a good game. His defence wasn't great, but I thought he was good. But I think the big takeaway was was how good Joseph um, Tarpanay was. Um, 
I don't think there's any doubt he's the best front rower in the world this year. People love titles. I'm not saying he's the best front rower in the comp period. There's guys that have done it for longer and everything else. But Tapane, this nobody has played better than him this year in the front row. He is his numbers were incredible. But more than that, it's not you can't just judge a guy on just numbers. The, the impact he's having on his team and how he's carrying them and when he makes his runs and, and how he goes through and, and where he does his offloads is fantastic. It's as good as I've seen anyone play in, in the front row in, in a game that, that he played there, especially in a team that doesn't have a, a lot of attacking spark. And you said I couldn't talk much about the Knights. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, <laughs> he Joseph, was there. Yeah, I'm going to, Joseph Tapane was not only here, he was the under 20s player of the year um, playing in the second row. And um, Nathan Brown not only didn't keep him, Nathan Brown, uh, you know, Tapane got a big offer to go to Canberra, fair enough, but, Nathan Brown was playing him in the centres in reserve grade at the time. So he was, when we got the spoon and came last, Nathan Brown not only wasn't picking him, he was also not picking him in the forwards in reserve grade. He was in the centres and he got the shits funnily enough. And that was part of the reason he ended up basically leaving. And I just want to put that out there for anyone who thinks Nathan Brown uh, knows what he's doing when it comes to rebuilds. Just remember Joseph Tapane, world's best prop centers in reserve grade in the spoon side. <laughs> Sorry. About I, will, that. <laughs> I will go out and say that, that Tapane has not realized anywhere near this type of potential before in Canberra until halfway through this season. So, well, I think he was playing good enough to make some of those night sides though. You might have. <laughs> still oh, I think you were playing good enough to make some uh, of those yeah. night sides. <laughs> he, he was, he was in the New Zealand test side and he had a good final a few years ago and stuff. He's never been this consistent, but yeah. I, I think it was, I think, uh, you could say he looked better than a reserve grade centre previously. He certainly does now. Well, I think that the other interesting thing from this game is that Melbourne are the first team out of the finals. And they, that's good to say. <laughs> as a non-Melbourne fan, yes. Yeah. Although you're probably going to say the same thing about my roosters soon and I'm going to get upset. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, look, the Storm thing is big because, look, Bellamy's going to be there next year. He may very well leave into a you know front office role after that. And I just think that this is a really interesting time because I'm going to sound like that I'm taking away from Bellamy's record and how good a coach he is. And I don't really mean it to come across like this, but this is a point where I think that we really get to see how good Bellamy is. Like I think that if he was coaching there in the next three, four years, he could really stamp his legacy as the best coach ever, but we're probably not going to be robbed of seeing it, but I'm really intrigued to how, the storm come back from this season now and come into next year with so many guys leaving admittedly that probably should be leaving, but with very few recruits, how they're going to turn it around and be a finals force again. And that's the thing, isn't it? The replacement, it's not that the guys are going, it's that they're not being replaced. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like, you know, Bellamy has this, I guess Bellamy has this reputation, which is fair that he brings all these guys in and, uh, and makes them into world beaters, which, I think it's starting to get overstated because there's a fair few players that have come in the last few years that really haven't done a job for them. Um, and it is a time these last few years where it's the time outside of the Cameron Smith, the Cooper Cronk, the well past the GI stage and the Billy Slater stage and stuff where this is really where if Melbourne were successful and came back next year and reinvented themselves and changed how they played or made some you know new stars then you'd kind of say wow look what Bellamy's done and I'm really intrigued to see that because I think he's got the ability to do it but yeah it, it can also really you know I guess put a bit of a, a twist in the story of Bellamy because you do get to see him in that situation and see how he coaches and for somebody who has only coached at one club 
it's as good as seeing a coach leave and go to a different club, having to contend with a completely different team and overhaul it, you know? So Ooh. I really wanted to see him have to do that just to see how it would pan out. But we're probably not going to get to, but next year he'll at least have to do something. Yeah, I'll counter that a little bit in that I agree it's going to be interesting to see what he does. I think he'll retire, um, but it'll be – I think two things. Firstly, every – like the, the nature of coaching, it's like being the best boxer in the world or something. If you go forever, eventually someone knocks you out. Like when you coach, all the great coaches eventually go out not winning. Um, eventually get sacked. That's how coaches finish up or they, or they retire. They very rarely – win the whole time which is what he's done um so if he stays long enough eventually he won't turn it around um and the counter is that i think he already reinvented them um we're looking at reinvention three i, I think this team um that made you know last year made, still made the prelim and went on the biggest winning streak ever that had no cameron smith no cooper cronk and no billy slater that was the reinvention that like, he managed to bring through pappenhausen not only pappenhausen he brought through heinz and Drinkwater. like he was finding and developing a lot of talent there he brought brandon smith wasn't in those best ever storm sides he came through later on and has played in some some grand finals and stuff but he wasn't part of the the peak era uh munster was but he was the junior member and and sometimes that doesn't translate from being you know he started as the fourth best player in their spine with Cronk and Slater and, and Smith and ended up probably the best and he developed him as well but that that team last year was and Harry Grant's the other one uh, that, that team last year was one that I thought was very different and they played differently to his peak side he got them to play differently to suit their strengths and he brought them all through so I, I think he deserves a lot of credit that he actually did keep them up in circumstances where if you look at Parramatta in the 80s, when you lose Sterling, Kenning, and that gold, golden generation, Price and old Cronin, they, they fall off and don't come back. Newcastle's never come back from their golden generation. Mm. Um, it, the, you know, it, the Roosters had a few down years after Fittler and everything. I think he kind of avoided that, um, but he's now got a team that I think they'll be in the finals next year because they'll have enough class in the spine. But I just don't think he has the team now to compete for the to compete for the comp next year. And I, I don't really hold that against him. I, I think he, it's quite incredible really what he did last year, to be honest. I thought he was almost coach of the year um, that he got that side up having lost Smith, Cronk and Slater all in a couple of years that he just, it was almost seamless how good they still were. Yeah, he did do, he did do well last year and I'm not going to take that away from him. I'm not going to use it as a massive thing if he doesn't get him up again, but um, yeah, I, you know, it's it's one of those things, isn't it, when you look at extremes, you know, and there's always the extreme view that you already have people that say, you know, Bellamy's the best coach ever and there was no one even close to him. You know, it's probably more of those views, which I think, you know, it would be interesting to actually see him um, in a different situation next year and how he actually performs in it. But we, we are going to get to see it next year. It's just the years after that. It's certainly going to be a big rebuild. Um, we do need to move on to the next game, and that was the Sharks and the Cowboys. What a what a fantastic game that was! I mean, thirty to thirty-two, and you know, thirty-two because it was a, a long-range two-point field goal. It only needed to be a one-point, but it was a desperation one. Um, look, before we even talk about each side and unpack the game, can I just say one of the things that I loved about this, Luke, is I've been really against Golden Point ever since it was in. To me, um, I, I've always been a proponent of if you need to get a winner, play more footy 
and Golden Point isn't playing more footy. It's this whole thing of hoping to get a penalty and lucking into a win or or just getting upfield because someone goes for a field goal and misses and you get a seven-tackle set for no reason and the other team gets to kick a field goal, you know, or you get like 18 missed field goals and it's just terrible for everyone and it's not football. You know, finals, you get 10 minutes of extra time playing footy, you know, and if somebody scores or there's a mistake or there's a penalty or there's a bin, someone takes advantage of it, it's okay because we're still playing footy here until the siren. I love that. Um, and I also do like that the golden point does come into it eventually, you know, that, that kind of, that makes sense. So I really love that format and I wish that we had a bit more of it during the regular season, instead of this going straight to golden point type of thing. That's always been a pet peeve of mine. I love gold. Um, it's not golden point. I love extra time, proper extra time. It was great to see it back and it becomes tactical as to whether you take the one point or whether you don't. Um, it is proper football. Like early in that uh, extra time period, the shot made a mistake and Townsend probably could have taken a one point and went for a try and that just would have been game over one error game over and that's not really how football works you always get the chance to defend your errors or get your chance um and that's what golden point denies you a bit you know what I mean like you make a mistake and then they kick a field goal and it's over whereas in you know I like the idea of the 10 minutes where you make the mistake they kick their one but you're going to have them down that end and have a chance to force them to make an error or get your chance with the ball and everyone gets a go and if you don't take your chance so be it but I don't I hate that you can just be in the first minute and an error decides it. So I, I loved it. It was a great game. Um, and yeah, I, I'm a big fan of extra time as well. I, I was I was disappointed when it got over because I was really baying for it. Um, I really wanted it to break the uh, Super League Tri-Series record of 104 minutes, which is the longest <laughs> game ever, which I've, we have done on the Rugby League Cemetery. If anyone wants to watch it, it's, um, it's the uh, Super League Tri-Series final, New South Wales and Queensland. And I was like, I thought for a minute we were going to break it. I was like, oh, we're a chance today. Once we got into actual golden point, and especially no one had got a really good chance to kick one yet but just a bit longer and we're going to break the world record so that, that was the only shame in it all yeah oh, I didn't think it was going to go for longer because that was a monster field goal from Holmes and he He's has done that a number of kicker. times now hasn't yeah. he? he strikes the ball so well oh, I didn't think so it was good. going to go over at all but it was just it was sweet as it was one of the best ones that you'll see and we'll see a lot of it in the future but I mean it also needs to be mentioned that Jason Tombolo scored basically on the 80th minute mm. uh, to, with a, a great try and it was his first try of the year so when you're talking about guys stepping up, you know, Jason Tomalolo left it until the first round of the final series to score his first try of the season, and it was one of their most important ones. Um, he, he also um, – this this is the most underrated thing of Jason Tomalolo's career is go and have a look at every important field goal ever kicked by that club and have a look for the, the big carry in the play or two before it, and it's always him. And it was, again, um, the amount of times Thurston won a game with either a field goal or sometimes a try where they, mm. they run the attacking play after the, after the low, low run. Um, and it was, again, here is that in that set, he took a monster carry. It is so underrated how much he does that um, because when the game's on the line, they always give him the ball and he always gives them that time they need to set up the shot. So you've got to make a good run to kick a field goal before it that that's what people set up is really important and people talk about that but half the setup is a big guy trampling people so that you get time and you don't get the pressure and and he uh, i reckon you could make a highlight reel of how many big runs he has made immediately before a field goal or a try to win games it, it's um it's never on the high actual highlight reel because it's not the play that wins it but i guarantee you the coaches and the players know it <laughs> Oh, he had a monster game and 21 hit-ups, oh. 21 hit-ups for 231 hit-up run meters. All run meters was 270. He threw that phenomenal 
mega pass. That's not fair. People who run and look like that shouldn't be able to do that. Pass that. <laughs> that's, that's, it, that's completely unfair. It, it nailed <laughs> it right in front of the chest of that, uh, of, I can't remember who it was. It might yeah, be Hiku. Hiku. Yeah. yeah, Hiku, and then him and Tualangi ran around. That's, yeah, it was just, uh, it, it was a fantastic game from Jason Tomalolo. Certainly as much a match winner as what Valentine Holmes was. I'll tell you one um, thing on him I wanted to mention. Um, it's just that I really like... Uh, tossing these sorts of things in because when the media put himself out there, you've got to jump on them when they get one wrong, um, even though we all do it. Corey Parker, there's been an article floating around this week. If you go back and Google Corey Parker, Jason Tamalolo, you'll find him in round two this season saying the Cowboys must, must cut bait with Jason Tamalolo oh, yeah. and pay him out, pay his salary to play somewhere else. Um, it's been doing the rounds. Go and look it up and all tweet it at Corey Parker if he's on there, will you? Because that looks like a bloody good call. <laughs> I couldn't believe that, but you know, I've, I've hit that on a different podcast. So I'm not going to go into it too much. But uh, the other guy that was really good in this one, I, I thought Hines was very good. Um, and he did some really nice touches. Three try assists for Hines as it was. Um, four line break assists. And you know, I, I thought that he played really well. And at times you sort of thought, you know, there was a couple of balls in particular, which were absolute magic passes. Mm-hmm. And for him to, it, it's kind of, it kind of punctuated his season for me watching him in this, you know, this is his first finals game that he's starting. Uh, he's come through playing a different position all year in, in a Cronulla side that he's been the leader of and leading them around the park as the best player in the spine by a mile. Coming into a first round matchup against the Cowboys, who were the third best defensive side, you know, you would you would forgive him for just having a bit of a quiet one or a frustrating night, but he just didn't really miss a beat. And I just think that that's, that's Nico Hines and why he's such a good buy for the Sharks. So in a losing side, um, he was filthy as well, which is the attitude that you want. But I think that he played really well for his first finals game starting at halfback for them. Yeah, he's he's such a good player. He deserves so much credit. Not a lot of players have moved position. Um, and he hasn't played a lot of first grade, really. Like, he had half a season playing fullback in the best team, best attacking team in the comp last year. So to come in and do what he's done at Cronulla has been fantastic. I think he's a really, really good halfback. Um, I've always thought that Cronulla were a bit of a next year's team. Like, it's really great that mm-hmm. did so well this year and that they'd get in the finals, learn from it, not really... You know, they might make week two or three, but wouldn't go all the way and will then be better next year. And I, I still probably think that. Um, I, I mentioned it before. I think a big thing's kicking. Uh, I just think in these big games, they've got to get a better kicker into the into the half with a longer kick. Moylan doesn't have a long one and neither does Hines. And it sounds so basic, but someone's got to be able to roof the ball down the other end. And so many times Drinkwater was catching on the 20 and 30 where Cleary and Moses would have them off the 10. And it's a little thing, but, you know, whether it's just practice or whatever, that that's, you know, Moylan was a fullback for most of his juniors and, and certainly most of his senior career or his early senior career in Hines was a fullback. And you can sort of tell, there's not a career kicker in there. Um, but, yeah, I thought Hines was fantastic. And I, I'm, you know, I'd like to see him win this week. I think it'd be a good reward if they get to the prelim. I, I also liked it because this game, I thought everybody was good. Like, I, I didn't think mm. that anyone was bad and everyone played their roles. Like, even like so, even someone like Andrew Fafita, who played 16 minutes off the bench only, was still good. Like I, I thought yeah. every single player really contributed to this one, which is why I thought it was such a, a good game. And you know, there's something to be said for having really gritty, you know, 16, 14 type of score lines and stuff. And some people sort of look at a 32, 30 and go, oh, 
you know, it's not really finals footy. But you, you can have a good quality games where there's just some really good attack and there was some really good tries in this. It was a couple of soft ones, but there was some really good tries in this. And I just, I, I thought it was a really good contrast to some of the other games that we had where it was, you know, really good attacking footy, the most points scored out of any game in the round. And I just enjoyed that being a little bit different, especially when you're talking about two top four defensive teams coming in. You know, it very well yeah. could have been one where they struggled for points. But it was nice to see, you know, the tries flowing and the attack flowing and the type of footy that they were playing. Yeah, I think you see that a bit. Um, people get, you know, it's not about the scoreline. You get really bad low-scoring games, really good low-scoring games and bad high-scoring and good high-scoring. And this was, like you said, it was really enjoyable high-scoring. It was tense. It was frenetic. A lot of the, uh, there was a lot of points scored that would, they wouldn't usually concede because the game was fast and everyone was up and emotional and, so you saw some mistakes you won't see in other games, but they would give it back and forth. I thought it was good. Um, I, I also thought it was a good game for both teams Like beforehand. When I looked at it, I thought, I see these two as the least two experienced teams in the finals. And I, I sort of thought that without a lot of experience and, and, and not having that sort of time together, if either of them played Parra or Penrith in the first week or, or even the Roosters or Melbourne or something, I thought they could probably get a bit nervous and get found out. And in this game, I think there was some nerves. I think both teams showed signs of that bit of nerves and, and chaotic energy and lost their way a few times. But because both teams, because they were both playing inexperienced sides, it sort of evened itself out. And I think both teams will be better for that run now. They've sort of got the nervous energy out of their system and the Cowboys, at least one team got away with it. Mm. Um, I think they need to rein that in a little bit. I think if they played like they did against Penrith or, or Parra or some of the other experienced sides, they might've got found out a bit. Um, and I think they'll both be better for the run now. It's sort of they've blown that nervous energy out and it'll be good to go. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, and look, uh, there was a lot of good performers that we could mention, uh, but we're not going to because I literally think everybody actually played really well, so it would take far too long. Uh, I, I think the Sharks were a little unlucky not to win. Uh, I think they'll feel like that's one that got away. But Well, the the, tri- the the obstruction try will be the one that gets talked about a lot. Um, the the no try for the obstruction where Val mm. took a dive. Um, and letter of the, like, it's, I, I'm not going to say they were robbed because letter of the law, they call those like them all season. There's all, it, it's a lottery. When that happens, I don't know what the referee will decide. And that's how it is. It's not a howling leap. It's a howler in real life. Real football fans think that's a try. But if you watch every game this year, You'll see a lot of those. You know it was 50-50, right? Like you, when yep. that comes up, you go, I'm not sure what will happen here. So I can't call that a howler. But if I went for Cronulla, that would keep me up at night a little bit. Like I would have been very bothered. It's um, more an indication but, of yeah. the problems with the NRL at the moment than yeah. it being a poor call. It's just how That's they're right. calling yep. things is, um, is yeah. a problem. But yep. um, there is Sharks fans that are upset about the Connor Tracy bidding. Now I've spoken to many. I've spoken to mates, spoken to listeners. I don't understand being upset with it myself. Um, I don't think it was a penalty try at all. I made the point that, you know, Tracy was obviously right there where the ball was. The ball was going pretty fast away from them. You know, you can't say that's a definitive, you know, going to be a try. So I was happy with the sin binning. Um, and having said that, I don't I don't see any way around him needing to be not sin bin. I don't think there's any way that the refs could have made that decision. It was a try scoring situation. He's made contact and held onto the play before he got to the ball. It was pretty cut and dried for me. Uh, so I certainly didn't think that was controversial in any aspect of it. No, no, no. It was, it was a sin being, but not a penalty try. Um, I felt sorry for him because I don't think he chased that kick with the intention, I'm going to take out Val. Um, I, I don't agree. think he planned that. But they both got there like at the same time and Val was 
between him and the ball, and he was just desperate to get it and did whatever he could at that point, which involved tackling him. And you have to go for that. But I felt a bit sorry for him because it was in a split second when he realised he might be about to concede a try, he just did anything he could to stop it. He didn't run back there going, I am going to tackle him out of the way. And that's where Cronulla will probably feel aggrieved is that he was kind of going for the ball. But it, it, it was absolutely a sin binning because for whether he intended to or not, he, he ends up at the end tackling mm. him. He the tackles inten- him. intentions yeah. don't matter, unfortunately. No, it doesn't. I, I just feel, I feel sorry for him because it's not like he went in there to commit this dumb foul. He just did. No. Yeah, uh, I think that he actually like pulled back his hands a couple of times because it's one of those things when you go into those, you're waiting for the opposition player to get any contact with the ball to hit them. Yeah. And, you know, he was sort of, I think he was kind of waiting for him to sort of get close enough to the ball where he was allowed to to grab him. So it was a bit of a, it, it, it's a tough situation, but it's definitely the correct call. Yeah. Uh, we're going to move on to the next game. Before we do, I need to mention the fantastic sponsor of the All-Stars podcast in Top Sport. Topsport.com.au, you can go and jump on there and have a look. They've often got best odds in market, and they are 100% Australian-owned, which I love. You get fantastic service from them. And it's not just about sport with them either. They've got great service and great odds in their racing as well. And look, player performance markets, I've spoken about it before. It's a lot of fun. You can bet the over and under on the point scoring. Uh, It's a fantasy point scoring system. You can really easily see that. Underneath, they've got a key that tells you what scoring is, and it is based on the NRL statistics. So if you go to nrl.com, you can have a look at the statistics and see what it's based on and and go from there. But it's based on the real game statistics NRL provides. So player performance markets are great on top sport, but if you're going to jump on there, make sure you gamble responsibly. But make sure when you create an account that you use the promo code of this podcast, and that is SC All Stars, all one word. When you create an account and they'll ask if you've got a promo code, make sure you throw that in because... When you do and you create that account, they'll know you're one of our listeners and they'll take great care of you. But topsport.com.au, go get on and have a look today. And this is going to coincide with our second topic, and that's Barnsley's Spray of the Week. So my Spray of the Week is going to open up the Roosters South game. <laughs> and look, I'm, I'm going to say outright, um, if you don't agree, that's fine. Luke, if you don't agree, be gentle because my Roosters are out of the finals and I'm very upset. But I pretty much haven't seen any media coverage that's agreed with me on this. So this is just going to be a one-of-a-kind take. Here's my two-minute spray on that game. Everybody is saying that the referees controlled it well. They did everything that they could. None of it is on the match officials at all. And I just thought that that was an absolute joke and a massive cop-out and just showed no understanding of rugby league whatsoever. Uh, I, thought it was a, uh, I thought it was a fantastic game that was also extraordinary viewing because of everything that happened, punctuated by the problems in the NRL that we've seen all year and be afraid of, and that is incompetent adjudicating within the NRL that doesn't get noticed or pulled up because the NRL always supports it. Uh, Now, people uh, all over the media, I won't even name names because everyone said, you know, what did you expect them to do? They seemed in seven players. They said a line in the sand and everything. There is so many ways to control the game better. And I'm going to go for a few different examples and then lead over to Luke to try and calm me down. The first thing is anybody who's played footy or even if you haven't knows if the referees are making the wrong calls and it's already a heated clash, it doesn't take the heat out of it. It puts more heat into it. Players get more frustrated. They get more angry and they overstep the mark even more. Now, what did we see in this game? We saw Victor Radley initially get, you know, all fine. And I made the call that I'm glad they let that play on it to play the ball because that's definitely the right call, especially in semifinals. Then they come back and all of a sudden, right before the ball's played, blow a whistle and say, no, he threw a punch, he's in the bin. That bin was 100% the wrong call. 
and that 100% rolled up both sides and you could see them talking to each other. Had that call been made correctly, again, the heat's out of the game a little bit less. The second thing, Burgess. Burgess goes in and absolutely smacks Teddy with a stiff swinging arm across the head. And everybody that saw that said, oh, no, you know, the best player in the game, arguably, is probably going to be taken out of this one from that. Every single person, including Burgess's mum and all his brothers and their wives and their dogs, all thought that he was going to the bin at a minimum. And I think most people thought he could go here because we've seen all year players go for less than that. Um, Now, he didn't even get sent to the bin. It was on report. That's another mistake, okay? If a referee is controlling the game, they make that call correctly. And I don't even want to blame the ref. It's the bunker as well. The bunker gave it a raw deal to the ref to have to make that call. It is 100% a bin and everybody knows that. And it didn't happen. Now, everyone will say, oh, well, a couple of minutes later, Burgess went, yeah, but he didn't go for what he was supposed to. So the Roosters were absolutely incensed at that point and ready to punch on. South were mouthing off about it. It just put more heat into the battle again and more frustration. And when Burgess did go, that was the wrong call. It was never a tackle that should have gone to the bin whatsoever. It bounced up off the ball. It was, you know, a penalty only. And the last thing that I will say, Luke, which hasn't been spoken about once, is that you know how referees control a game well and show that they're a good referee? At the start of that, they actually talk to the captains effectively. I don't even remember them talking to the captains. I remember everyone standing around getting the shits and mouthing off at each other while the bunker was taking two or three minutes to make decisions on stuff. Not a referee stamping his authority at the start, not by sending players off, but by saying to them, guys, this has to stop now. This is what's happening. Third man that runs in or any stuff, I'm going to bin it as I see it. Forget it. Stop doing it. You know, and three out of those seven sin bins shouldn't have been sin bins. You know, so how do you control a game better? Make the right calls so you're not incensing the players even more. Take control of it by talking to the players properly and getting the captains out and speaking to them when you can to control the game. And again, make the right bloody calls. You know, to me, Luke, that was all really evident in it. I love the game. I love the theatre. I love the physicality. I wish we saw a bit more footy and I wish we weren't talking about these type of send-offs and sin bins and calls that we got in the game. That's fair enough. I'll try and come off the back of that. Um, I will, well, rather than just give an overview, I think that there's seven sin bins and a non-sin binning that need to be looked at. Um, Radley shouldn't have gone. Radley didn't punch anyone. Um, he was he was tackling someone who'd offloaded and he didn't know. And that person then tries to, then picks him up and tackles him to the ground and he, they wrestle. Um, that guy's angry that he's held on to the tackle. Radley's angry because he didn't know he'd let go of the ball and they have a wrestle. There's no punch there. That was a ridiculous call on the referee. And Radley's trying to just push him off him, right? Like he's well, trying to get up and go. Just... And Milne is holding him. Like how Milne wasn't yeah. in trouble for that. I Milne, no Milne tackled him and then they were holding each other. And I'm not saying Milne should have gotten any strife. Neither of them should have. They were in a, a rest. Milne was angry because he knew he'd passed and Radley kept tackling him. Radley didn't know he'd passed. So he was angry that Milne was having to go at him and they had a bit of a wrestle, you know, like and, but, pff, play on. Um, that that was a that was a howling sin bin. It should never that should never have happened. Uh, Burgess should have been sent off. Uh, I might cop it a bit for that view, but when he did it, I went back and checked what I said because I was texting a mate at the time, and my words were, "I think he's in big trouble here. I think he might go outright," and that was my thought live. Um, that he and the, another reason for that is it, it. I hate using tropes, but feel for the game is something that referees have to have. And if you watch the sets leading up to that. Burgess takes a run and gets absolutely slotted by a lodge and like 
belted back about 15 metres. And, and I remember saying at the time, I've never seen Burgess smashed like that. He's just so big, right? Like he's like a giant, actual giant. Um, he never gets smashed. And then he ran again and he got smashed again, both legally, got absolutely clobbered by Victor Radley. And I went, I've never seen anyone hit Burgess like this. So he caught these big hits off the Roosters forwards who were dominating the game at this point. And then they kick downfield and he runs up and he wants to give it back and he gets it wrong, right? Like he's angry. He's been smashed a few times and he fires up, swings his arm out and he belts the guy in the head. So if you feel for the game, what you're getting there is this guy has come in trying to whack someone too. Like he's not just, it hasn't slipped up. It's not bounced off something. He is looking to slot someone, is aggro and up for it. And he has stuffed it up. He's got him flush across the head. And he has to go um, for that because it, it does matter the context. It's that this isn't a slip up. It, it is a guy trying to hit. He was going after him. And I'm not saying he meant to hit him in the head, but he, he came out looking for a big shot. And if you stuff that up, you've got to wear it. He came out and threw everything into that. And it, it does matter that it's Tedesco. You can say it doesn't, but it does. If you're going to have these rules, it does, it does matter. You took out the best player in the game. It does. I could have lived with a sin bin, um, and that would have at least brought in the 18th man rule, which does matter because that's it's a very important mistake now if you lose a player for the game and can't bring your 18th in. Um, I will say that... And it, I just, can I just jump in there with that point? Because that's a really good yeah. one, and I forgot it in my rant because I was too angry about the game. That That's another error that puts more heat into the battle and accentuates how annoyed everybody is. You know, the Roosters were out of troops. If they had an 18th man, it would have helped them a lot. And they don't make no mistake, they feel that on the field when they don't have that 18th man and they can't activate it. And that was all just from a pure error from the referee. Yeah, and, it, and, and an error that they had time to correct. He didn't miss a knock on and no one challenged it. It went to the video ref. They had a chance to see it. Um, I, I'm stunned he wasn't sent off and I, it, it, he had to be sim-binned. Uh, you're right, the third one was wrong. He shouldn't have been binned for the next one. I, I can live with it because it's sort of... I don't know if you can be sent off for repeated high tackles. It's a weird thing. It's not like a repeat ruck infringements, but nonetheless, like I could live with it because it's repeated by the same guy, but it was a wrong decision. It wasn't a, it wasn't a binnable offense. If the first one wasn't, this, the, the second one isn't turned into one because of the first one, in my view. So that's three um, that are wrong. I might get the order of the remainder wrong, but Jared Warrior Hargrave should have gone. That was a head slam. Um, we don't do that anymore. Um, he, he had to go. There's no doubt that that was brought on by a lot of what happened, that he was going after Burgess because of what had happened. So I take it. I, oh, I agree 100%. I totally goes. take your point it, oh, on, on yep. the referee being to blame for how he'd handled things before. But the sin bin in that moment was correct. He had to go. Um, Jared never does that to Burgess if we don't have everything that proceeded to that. No, moment. he probably doesn't. And that's right. But it's. Um, oh, I mean, Burgess isn't on the field to do yeah, it to either. That's the other point. Yeah, that's right. So <laughs> he, he had to go. The next one was an absolute joke. I cannot possibly believe that they sent um, uh, to Toller and Ratley. Um, that, that, oh, that, that was, was so bad. Wasn't, wasn't a send off in soccer. Um, that. Firstly, Totola didn't like to basically do anything. Like that is not shoving that. Pushed him in the back yeah, of the head. But, like, but so. I wouldn't. He, there's a push in the back of the head, and there's a touch on the head. Right. He didn't. He yeah, didn't yeah, kick yeah. him up and like ragdoll his head into the ground. Nah, he, he gave him a little bit of. Like, just, just stop it and talk to them both. Separate the teams and tell them to stop. That's right. You know, like, and the way I saw it live was I don't sending both is so farcical because if uh, the way I see it right, if Radley runs in for no reason and starts blue, you could think about bending him. If Totola head slams someone into the ground, then how can you blame Radley for like running in? 
So from how did they both yeah. go? <laughs> so if you're saying yeah. that Tatola did the wrong thing, why are you punishing Radley yeah. for protecting yeah, his teammate that anything. was getting it's... pushed in the head on the ground? Which, you know, we, we both agree that Tatola didn't no. do enough wrong to warrant but it. How do they but both go? The referee is saying that he did, in which case, well, Radley's run in because of that. Yeah. You know? And it's like saying if someone clocks your teammate, you can't run in. And, no, you know, that's right. You know, you so can't. that one's wrong. And I've missed Milne. Milne should have gone to the bin and did, so that's fine. Um, and Milne, the second time, I don't, necessarily think he should have gone to the bin but I can live with it so I have them at getting over half of them wrong I think Radley shouldn't have gone Totola and Radley the second time shouldn't have gone Burgess should have gone then shouldn't have gone so that's five wrong ones and Milne's 50-50 on the second one it wasn't great and the fact that he'd already gone I, I, you can't just let people keep doing it I think there's a point but mm. I, I don't think that the second one was a sin bin in itself um, so that's a lot of wrong calls in a game to have made um, so I, I tend to agree with you there on a lot of that. I think on the game itself, I think there's probably, firstly, I loved it. I really enjoyed it. I know a lot of people said it wrecked it and it was a wrestler, like you sort of a brawl-a-thon and there was no footy played. I did love it. It was, it was so intense and exciting. Um, I'd have been disappointed probably if I went for East because it, it turned into a game that doesn't look like what the NRL is. And I think East were going to win a game that is played like the NRL. Um, East were well on top before the carnage started. Um, and it also, that, that Radley one was a massive turning point. And it has to be said as well, like I going into that second half, I was so deflated as a Roosters fan because there was no way we could win. We lost Angus Crichton mm. and James Tedesco and uh, Tupo all before halftime even hit. And without those guys in that side and Manu being out this week, there was no way that we could have won that game. And you knew it. Like the, the, the outside backs got put in a space a couple of times from Cleary and Walker doing some things, but we just we were never going to be able to do it. We just didn't have the cattle. And I, I just, unfortunately, as a, as a Roosters supporter, I kept going back to the fact that Burgess didn't even get sent to the bin. And Teddy, if Teddy was in that game and everything else happened, I, I still think that we win. And that's just, it's a really unfortunate rugby league thing where, you know, it's not taking anything away from South, so I'll live with it because it's a rugby league thing and it happened. But Teddy going just, I think, killed the Roosters' chances entirely. Oh, totally. I mean, he's the best, one of the best players in the world, if not the best player in the world. And that that that's what happens, you know. I mean, I've, you know, I'm a guy who went for the Newcastle Knights all my childhood. The amount of times Andrew Johns got hurt in finals and you, you do go home thinking, well, if he didn't, we win. And that that's what happens and you have to live with it. Um, I think what I will say is because I don't want to, I, I thought East were on top till all this carnage started, but I'm going to be really fair to, to South people who think we're just all in on, on East here, which you obviously are, um, but I, 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 I'm not. <laughs> I didn't get to the yeah, South credit I, part, I, right? yeah. but I'll let you take it away well, first. <laughs> I think when this happened, there is no doubt that South handled it better. Um, I think that when it really started getting chaotic, East did get really ratty um, and they did lose their head a little bit and there was a period of time in the first half where South were down to 11 for a prolonged period and they not only scored they I mean which is incredible but they didn't concede any the Roosters barely got a look in the other half of the field and if you look across the game there was all this wild stuff happening where everyone lost their heads a bit and something weird would happen back and forth but for that one period of time where they were really out and down on their luck playing with 11 against a very good team um, they played an outstanding 10 minutes of football that is the reason that they ultimately in my opinion won the game because outside of that it yep. was a bit of a lottery 
like someone would go to the bin, something weird would happen and East would score a weird try or South would score a weird try. But there was a 10 minute period where they really should have got absolutely rinsed and East probably played their worst football. They knocked on in their own half twice during that time. They didn't put much play on. I think Teddy was off by then, but they, he was, but they still had, you know, they still got Kiri and what they've got guys who can take advantage in a 13 and 11 and they played their worst football in that period and were really uncomposed and South really bit down on it and played well. And that's why they are playing in week two because they did that. And in a game that was completely wild, I thought that in the end, do we, did they refs lose control of it? Yeah. Did it get out of hand? Is it probably not what we were looking for? Totally. But I do think that ultimately the team that played better on the day in the end did win. Albeit if they played again, I don't expect that game to be played like that ever again. Like, the, the, <laughs> in all the circumstances that came up, I do think South ended up deserving to win the game. Um, you know, given all the stuff that's outside everyone's control. Like, they can't control Burgess not being sent off. Um, yeah, if he did get sent off, is it likely that have won? Probably not. No, of course not. But with everything that happened in the circumstances the teams had to play in, which they both have no control over, they deserve to win the game that played out, I think. Yeah, 100% agree. South played the better football the second yeah. half, which is where the game was won. Um, and the two 11-man points punctuate it, and it's why they earned it. I think there's two different things, though. Like One of them was really good defence by them. Yeah. Um, and it was also a point where the Roosters were really tired. But the, the first time, they actually held the ball from the Roosters, which is something yeah. that is rarely achievable, especially in that type of pressure cooker game. And that was something they did really well. They didn't let the Roosters actually have the ball hardly at all. I think it was like two minutes they had the ball out of that mm. 10 minutes that those two players mm. are off the field. They forced an error so, too. They forced a big error out of someone, mm. like hit him at the line. And, and yeah, it was. they didn't even let them near the try line. Nowhere near. Yeah, so yeah. I think they definitely you know deserve to win you know, just on face value for what happened yeah. in the game. Yeah. They, they won the game in the second half for sure. And I, I wouldn't dispute that as a Roosters fan. Uh, as far as... The Roosters coming through and South defending them, like I sort of thought, it's sort of a bit of both ways. Like I thought the Roosters forward pack, even under the circumstances, actually outplayed South's forward pack. I I thought the Roosters forward pack all the way through were very good. It's their backs that lent them down, but it's hard for me to also say that and be hard on them because like how much did Kiri and Walker not make stuff happen because they were going out to you know, Momorowski and Suali, which was clearly overawed by the occasion and needing to switch positions. And on the other side, Hutchison. Oh God. Drew Hutchison you know, and Centre, please never make me watch that again. It makes me want to gouge my eyes uh, out. <laughs> well, yeah, there was that many oh. opportunities. And Nagama as well was in there. And it was just like these, they've got nothing either side here. And Angus Crichton's an attacking weapon on one side that's also gone off that edge. You know, both sides of Walker and Kiri just have nothing out there. So even when they half created stuff or they gave some early ball, it, it just wasn't going to happen anyway. So I don't know how much I can blame on them. And likewise, the guys that weren't doing it in the back line, you know, I, I didn't actually have any faith that they could do it just because they, they're not good enough, you know, and that's not a slight on them. Oh, yeah. It's just, yeah. you, you can't be that much better than what you are. You know, when you've got Nagama and Hutchison and Momorowski, you know, and Suali out of position, you know, it's just it's pretty hard to put on the points that you need to against the South Sydney side that played that second forty minutes trying to take that game away from them, and they did it well. I did so that. It, yeah. it was a real mixed bag. I did you know? think. I remember thinking in the second half, I was like, last week this team couldn't like last as of last week, Joey Manu couldn't get picked at fullback because the the team because of today's like last week they couldn't Joey yeah. Manu wasn't good enough to play fullback in this team, and this week they now have Kevin Nagama. 
uh, Momorowski and Drew Hutchinson playing in the back line. And I'm like, in the space yep. of seven days, that's a fairly <laughs> sharp about face. Um, and, you know, like, I think, I don't know what odds you would have got, say, two years ago on Kevin Nagama playing in an elimination final um, in 2022 <laughs> um, in the NRL, but I don't think it would have been great. I think just the last thing on the game is that one thing I did think, and uh, I, th- I thought East were a chance to, I didn't think they'd beat Penrith, but I thought they were a chance to go deep in the finals and were a big threat this year. Um, I still think mm. if they'd won, they could have been, if Manu and everyone was back and everything. But what I will say is that ultimately they've had a great second half of the year. I think they'll be very good next year and I look forward to seeing it going. But as hard done by as they were on the day, and it would have applied the South as they lost too, this is why we have a top eight that rewards your form over the whole season is that you, exactly. if you make yep. the top four, if East made the top four and James Tedesco got knocked out and Radley got simbined and everything else, you earned a chance for that to happen. Um, you, you, are, you earn one shot at either getting a week off or having the opportunity to have that bad luck hit you and get away with it. And that's the reward Cronulla have got. They got a bad call from the video ref and everything else, but they're not dead. They get to play again because they're rewarded. I think East would have beaten Cronulla if they played them last week in a fair game, to be honest. I think they're a better side, but they weren't, they didn't win more games this year or even close. So they didn't earn that right. And as good as they were in the back half of the year, they were pretty poor in the first half. And they've unfortunately got themselves in a position where that could happen. Was it unlucky? Yeah, of course it was, but you know, that's the reward you get for finishing right up the top. Yep. A hundred percent. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll finish off by saying as well that we've been a bit negative about this game, but I don't mean to be. I'm a Rooster supporter and I'm upset about it. But, you know, whilst I think that I'm aggrieved, it's more about the NRL and how they've been doing things wrong all year. Um, rather than South, who took advantage and won the game when it was yeah, there to I, win. I, and I, I didn't think anything different was going to happen there. I, I, I loved I'll, watching I'll say, it. It was really, as a neutral, I had a great, like, I, I was yeah. thrilled watching. It was really exciting. And I'm not really having a go at, at anyone. It was wild and there were some wrong calls. But as a neutral, that doesn't that didn't take away from my enjoyment of it. It was crazy and wild. And I remember just thinking, I wish just out of all of that, Tedesco hadn't had a pass the HIA because I think it would have gone down to the wire. Um, if everything else stays the same and Teddy goes on, I think we, we're maybe talking a one or two point game and that would have been just the icing on it for me if it had really gone to the 80th. If they, if they didn't bin the mistake bins and Teddy stayed healthy and on the field, uh, I think that I'd be looking at this game as one of the all-time favourite classic yeah, it was, games. It was a history. beauty. It really was good. Um, yeah. But it's just unfortunate those couple, those few things sort of took away a bit from it. But I loved how physical it was, mm. and that's why I really enjoyed it. Like, I want to see games like that. And like people talk about it being thuggery and over-aggressiveness. You don't get the physicality of a game and also take the thuggery and aggressiveness out of it. They go hand in hand. So if you want a good physical contest, you need a degree of that stuff that might be borderline, Mm. you know, and I'm happy to let some of that stuff go. Obviously not real bad stuff, but you can't have one and not the other, you know, and I think people need to recognise that. That's the sort of footy I want to see, particularly the first 15, 20 minutes is as good as I've seen ever. I would Um, be very proud. The intensity and the hits and everything. And I I was proud of how the Roosters went because I don't think they could have done any more, you know, it was a tough game Uh, to beat. As a a lifelong league fan who loves the game to death, I would kill to get to go go for a team that played like East did on the weekend or South did or Canberra did. It's all I want. And I look across Newcastle side and think we've got big aggressive guys, but they just don't do the things that, the key forwards and those teams are doing, which is getting aggro and aggressive and pushing the boundaries, making it personal. That's what I we all love about football. Um, and I, I thought it was, for those reasons, despite 
some of the chaos. It was a great game because it was like, it was like Origin 3 in a lot of ways, to be honest. It was physical, hard, and chaotic, and I, I loved it. <laughs> it was like it was like an Origin game, and it really that's the intensity I want to see, and you rarely get to see it. And the other thing, too, was that, you know, despite all the actual mistakes, it, it made for compelling viewing. Like, yeah. I was up and down running around everywhere. I've never seen anything no, like it. No, it was mental. And we probably <laughs> won't see anything like yeah. it again. It was crazy. Uh, but that makes it pretty compelling and quite different to other rugby league games that you see. So, you know, mixed bag, you know, I want to say I loved it and it was awesome, but at the same time, there was a few things that took me down from that a little bit, but I just have gone so back and forth on it. We need to move on because we are running out of time very quickly. Um, Finals uh, week two, very quickly, who we think is going to win. So for me, Eels and the Raiders at Combank Stadium, uh, for me, look, I actually think the Eels are going to have a bounce back. I think that they're going to get up and win this one, being at Combank Stadium. Uh, I think they're going to buck the trend. I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know who's going to win either of these games. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, Parramatta should win. Does it mean they will? I mean, obviously, the key is going to be whether Mitchell Moses plays. Um, I will say this was always going to be the joke of the concussion thing, is that how ser- for how seriously everyone pretends they take it, as soon as Murray went in round the last round, you knew he was going to play. I'm pretty confident Moses will. They're all going to make all the right noises and say that they would pull him out if they had to. But it, it's funny how once it got to the key games, nobody has, nobody has missed a key game yet, for one. Um, he'd have, there's no way he'd play this week if that was during the season with how he looked at the time. Um, if he plays, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I will... I, because I've bagged Parramatta out, I'll tip Canberra. I've bagged them out. So I may as well go all in on it so I can hold you so. But I, I have no mate. idea. I really don't know. I think that Parramatta have a more talented side, but Canberra play a style of game that is going to force Parramatta to be, mm. they're going to have to play their best to win and they don't have a history of doing it in finals. So it'll be a really good contest. I'm really looking forward to it. I really like the forward battle mm. in that one. And that's what I'm most looking forward to seeing, the power forwards versus the Raiders forwards. The Sharks and Souths game is on Saturday night at Allianz. Uh, I actually really like the Sharks, no question. And it, it's one of those things where people sort of focus on, oh, the Sharks had to play the extra minutes. It was heartbreaking loss and whatever. Look at what Souths had to go through. Souths 100% are going to be mentally, emotionally and physically drained after last week, much more than what Cronulla will be. I'd, I'd really like Cronulla to win this one and, and finish the off for the year. I, going into the first week, I tipped that the loser of the Cowboys Sharks would go out in week two, but I did think they'd be playing the Roosters. Um, but <laughs> I thought that even if South won, I thought I've, I've never seen a stronger bottom half of the eight than we had this year. I thought the bottom half teams yep. looked nasty, uh, really nasty. And um, funnily enough, the two biggest names are now out being the Roosters in Melbourne. But I think, Again, I'm really not sure. I thought Cronulla were a bit ropey at, at times. I think Latrell Mitchell <laughs> can give them a lot of trouble with the site. They don't have the same players that other teams have to maybe handle him. I will really hesitantly pick Cronulla because I agree with you. I think there'll be a lot of Souths will be very drained. I think Tom Burgess has never been better than he has this year. In a pack that's not a standout forward pack, if you go name for name, they're not, a, they're not an elite mm-hmm. pack. I think having him out against Cronulla's very... Cronulla's got a very underratedly good pack. They're all a lot of 8 out of 10s or 7.5 out of 10s. And I think him being out will hurt. Um, I just wouldn't be surprised either way. I'll tip Cronulla, but honestly, those two games, I have no idea. I I really don't know. And I think that's really exciting. Like, I really don't have a favourite. Last year, I thought it was pretty obvious who was going to win the second week and there was a bit of some floggings and stuff. And I don't think so this year. I, I wouldn't be stunned either way. 
two great games of footy. I just wish we had four. That's probably the only I know, thing anyone I know. say. <laughs> uh, second last, before we go to the Legend Rewind, uh, this topic, quick two-minute machine gunner. Um, what we've said was wrong with what happened with May and not getting suspended until next year has reared its ugly head and more loopholes are being exasperated by fans and the media alike. So May has actually been banned now which is poetic justice, but it also just shows how hypocritical and stupid the system was that he actually got pushed to next year with his band and now he's banned anyway from his first finals game that he never should have been played in anyway. But along with that, Burgess is obviously banned now for two weeks. The Souths need to make the grand final. I 100% understand why Souths are aggrieved about it because it's following on a week later from when everything was being done for the fans and May was being allowed to play. Why, why shouldn't Burgess be allowed to play for the fans and help Souths have a full-strength team? Makes no sense, but we said it on last week's podcast, Luke. This is a can of worms that you open and guys are going to miss final series after May was allowed to play it when he had a suspension. And then on top of that, JWH has been banned, but because the World Cup's coming up, um, he's not going to miss any games at all. So I think what we've seen here, Luke, is the hypocrisy and stupidity of the NRL and why they've handled the May thing so poorly. And on top of that, uh, I don't actually see anything wrong with the JWH stuff like some people do because putting on your jersey for your country is a big deal for some people. And you can talk about warm-up games and whatever, but, I mean, that's always been a... That's always been part of your suspension, you know, the international games. And if he was unlucky enough to get it when he's playing, you know, a, a tri-series for best of three or something, you know, it would be huge for him and he still will not miss a game for the Roosters. So I don't see an issue with that, but certainly the whole thing in a nutshell just says the NRL needs to basically get their shit together, have some proper criteria and rules and publish it, make it transparent and stick to it. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Rhea Hargraves, I don't have a huge problem with. If you want him to miss NRL games, then you have to let him play the World Cup games. I, I could deal with that. If they wanted to say it was a different comp, so he's eligible to play them and has to serve them next year, no issue. Make up some more new rules along well, the way. Well, hey? not, not right now. I mean, I'm, I, I'd be okay with yeah, that yeah. being the rule. Um, but yep, yep. you can't say it's a loophole because he's missing playing football games, which is the point. If you want to not count them and make that an actual rule from next year, I'm fine to say play the test matches, but you have to you have to serve yeah, them. So. But you know, if he served, he doesn't have to serve both. That's totally unfair. Um, the Burgess one, yeah, it comes back. I've said to you before. I just think with the point system, I think the point system that finals games should be worth more points, and that would get rid of it. And if they put 200 points. Um, if he had 200 points for this offence, then a finals game should be worth 150 or 200. So he only misses one, not two. Um, and he would serve one next year, right? Like if he had 200 points and it was the grand final, he'd be allowed to play, but he'd have to serve it round one next year because that's 100 points. I, I don't think that's complicated. If, if finals if finals want to be worth more, then just do that. It's not that hard, but it, it is. The May one just... The, the May one is the problem. The other stuff can be worked out with basic, simple rules that are published. The May one is just ridiculous, and we all know that. Is it unlucky because it happened a whole year ago and he's only been punished now? Yes, but, like, that's, you know, he got found guilty of a criminal offence. Like, that's not unlucky. It's his fault. So, like, you know what I mean? So not, he still did it, yeah, and, you, right. don't like wanna, and you don't want to punish him before he's actually no, been that's exactly right. Like, whatever, so. like, they had to wait. So is it unlucky that it's being served now when it happened a year ago? Yeah, it's unlucky. But, I mean, it's unlucky because he did something wrong. Not It's not anyone else's fault. So, yeah, I, 
I mean, it's unlucky that Lindsay Collins got done for a charge in round 25 or whatever. That's what I mean. It's, it's, un, it's un, you, right before the yeah. finals, but you still did it. You still got That's right. It's, it's unlucky, anyway. but it's not it, like you can't, you can't just tell yeah. him to serve it next year. No, no, that, that was out of line. It's one of the number one things on the agenda for the off-season for the NRL. They need to get the suspension stuff they in won't. order and to stick <laughs> with it. Um, and, they, and, of course, they won't. Uh, let's finish off on a real positive favourite segment among many of the listeners. Legend Rewind. I've thrown Luke Garrity a bone here, <laughs> although this guy was a star for three different players. I'm uh, Three different clubs, I should say. I'm going to say that he is a player that is one of the most underrated forwards in the history of the game. Never gets spoken about. He's one of those guys, and there's a lot of them. It's not just this guy. They're just these forwards that have really, really successful careers, and then everyone forgets immediately who they were. Uh, this guy played for the Canberra Raiders, 67 games, 96 to 1999. 2000 2004, he played for the Newcastle Knights with 86 games. Uh, both of those 31 and 29 tries in those two stints as well, by the way. And then 10 tries in 42 games for the Manly Seagulls after retiring in 2006. He is Ben Kennedy. Fantastic lock and second rower. About six foot 207 kilos. Uh, Luke, I'm going to let you take this one away to start with because he doesn't have a lot of the career accolades of a lot of the guys that we talk about on the legendary one. But that's just all the more reason to remind people of how good Ben Kennedy was. He has the accolades with me, I'll tell you that. Um, He is probably very close to being my favourite player of all time. Um, He is, as a forward, I thought the dominant player in that position of his era, along with Gordon Pallas. Um, I thought they were clear in a way the best two back rowers of that time period of the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s sort of era. Um, he's as good as anyone that's ever played. Um, it's funny you say he's underrated because a mate of mine said to me once when I was talking about him and I was saying, oh, you know, he should be in the best, like close to the best ever side. And they were like, I don't think people remember him like that. And I got really quite agitated about it. And he was like, no, I'm not saying he's not. I'm just saying people don't remember him in the same way as even a Burgess and a Gallon and everyone. And I was, I was bamboozled by that as a, cause I'm from Newcastle. So everyone here does. And he is as good as anyone. He's every bit as good as a Talis or a Sam Burgess or anyone I've seen play in that position. He was an absolute winner. Um, he played at the Raiders. He was very good, but it, you know, he came to Newcastle and was the one who took them basically over the edge. Like in the early two thousands, he took them from being pretty good to winning the competition. He was the best player um, in the grand final, he should have won the Churchill by a street. The first 30 minutes of his, there is a five minute highlight package of the first 30 minutes of the 2001 grand final of just him. Um, and he was just phenomenal. He scored 17 tries that season in 2001 in the back row. And the influence he had on the team, we fell off as soon as he left. He was one of those guys, they're hard to define, but they're just winners. There's guys like, Burgess was one, James Graham's one. There's guys that are, they just help you with. Boyd Cordner is one. Um, they are just, they just win. They, they do big plays when it matters. The amount of times I went to games and Ben Kennedy, there'd be five minutes left and we'd be down by four and he would rush out of the line and be the one who put a, a hit on and force a knock on, or he would be the one that flew in and made a line break out of his own 20 by just running over people. He was a guy that saved his best football for when it really mattered in the big moments. He went to Manly and in two seasons dragged a team that was from the bottom of the table back into the finals and really brought on that young side that ends up winning the comp after he leaves and making all those grand finals. And he actually made Manly's best ever team in two seasons at the club. So he's in two greatest ever sides. He's in the Manly's greatest ever side. And Manly have been around for 
you know, half a century before he got there and he makes it in two seasons and he made Newcastle's best ever side fairly comfortably and will never, ever drop out of that one if they make it again in 200 years. That's how sort of good he was. Uh, I think he played... He won his record for New South Wales is ridiculous. He won seventy six percent of his games with ten wins in thirteen games, uh, which is another mark to to have played in a competition that's ultimately even. That's won about fifty percent each. Uh, he was just a remarkable, remarkable footballer, and and I, I think, and I admit, it, I accept I'm a little bit biased, but I I think he's the equal of anyone ever that I've seen play in his position. I think he was that good at what he did he was just raw and hard and a guy that saved all of his best moments for the big moments of games he definitely was a winner and i think that's something that you didn't just see in his club footy yeah. but when he when he put on an australian jersey which he did 20 times uh, 14 times for new south wales uh, sorry uh, 13 times for new south wales he was always such a big game yeah. player and he always played so well in those big games. And he was one of those guys that was a true alpha. Yeah. You know, he he was an alpha in every Ford pack he went to, and it didn't matter who was in it. But it was really weird. And it's you're right, it's hard to put a finger on because he kind of did it without asserting himself. It was just how he played. Like he wasn't one of those guys that needed to say much or or do much to try and it's just how he played. And it's really hard to explain because him as a player to me was a real conundrum. He was such a mix of all these different things that you don't expect to be together. He was a real hard runner. He was a real hard hitter and he was a real hard man. And you normally sort of see that in the middles and the, all the props at the time. And he could play like that and everyone would be scared of him and he'd bruise and batter a lot of people. But he also had these offloads and this yeah. attack and this try scoring prowess that you would expect from someone like a Stephen Menzies. Yet he also had the brutality of one of the front rowers. Footwork, and, footwork and, out wide when he'd run and put a step on and then palm you and then offload. It was unbelievable. He, you're yeah, right. the, the footwork and speed, like you didn't expect from him either. Like everything about him was unexpected. And there was nothing that you'd sort of, he just sort of looked like an average sort of back rower. But he had all these yeah. unexpected He wasn't skills bigger or thicker where, than anyone else. Like he wasn't, he wasn't that good. He wasn't like Jason Tamalolo where he's blessed with unbelievable mm. pace and size or something. He was the same size as everyone else, you know what I mean? He's not a small man, but he was no bigger than any of the other guys getting around. Yeah, yeah and I mean, I guess that's yeah. what I'm getting at. He wasn't really blessed with anything. Like he wasn't fast. He wasn't overly clever. He wasn't overly big or strong. He, but he just did everything really well. There's a, um, a and, few quotes by Andrew Johns about him that I, I thought were very instructive. Um, the, the, the first one was only the other day. when they, Do you remember Joey had his rant about Queenslanders saying New South Wales don't care? It blew up a lot this year. Yep, and yep. He, when he was talking <laughs> about that and explaining himself, one of the things he said was it makes me so angry because of some of the stuff I've seen from Blues players. And he talked about a few of them. And then when he got to Ben Kennedy, he just goes, Ben Kennedy, he goes, he would eat your throat out to win a game of football. And <laughs> there's nothing in a more rug dealer's <laughs> way that actually as silly as that comment is. Just encapsulates it because he had those eyes. Um, people will think maybe the David Clemmer eyes he, he gets. Think that, but he did it when he was running the flight. Ben Kennedy would get the ball in a big game and he would have that sort of Clemmer young Clemmer wild dog eyes when he was making the run and, and would be eyeballing mm. you and they were wild because he'd get it and he was just so focused on dominating you and getting over the top of you that there was just that aggression just steaming out of him and it, it's the moments isn't it like moments make career and it, it, everyone can put a big hit on but it's the guys we remember are the guys that when you are down and when you need it and when the game is tight you want one of those yeah guys. the guys that 
bust out the big play when they needed. And I, I, I lost count of how many times we were in trouble and he was the one that was the big run or the big hit, even in a game he'd been quiet in, that would do it. Um, and, and I mean, the Manly thing's a huge one. I speak a lot about Newcastle, but at Manly, he was pretty busted. Like in Newcastle, uh, he played 11, 13 and 16 games in his last three seasons with hamstring and knee trouble and everything. And he goes to Manly in his 30s with some injuries and slowing down a little bit, losing a bit of that sort of footwork. And, and, and he goes there and makes their best ever team in two seasons, you know, like at lock, moving into the middle a bit more, which he was doing a bit more of at Newcastle, but moving into the middle of the field and having such an influence on a young side there. So they talk so glowingly of him, the Stewarts and Watmau and everything and what he brought, that bringing in, um, it was like an on steroids version of the Dale Finucane thing this year where they talk about Finucane going there and helping the Sharks. It was like that, but on absolute steroids. Like he went there and just really dragged a young group of guys and showed them how to play and was still a big influence on the field as well. Um, I think the, the, the last quote by by Andrew Johns I thought was really good was in all these old nights sort of things that he gets asked a lot of questions obviously and he got asked once who would win out of the 97 grand final team and the 2001 team and he just goes oh 2001 would win and they go why and he goes well it'd be they're both good sides and it'd be a close game but 2001 had Ben Kennedy so they wouldn't lose yeah isn't that's the difference we didn't have Ben Kennedy in 1997 and you know they had Paul Harrigan in 97 guys that are glorified in, in history and um you know so for Joey to say that, and he's right, Ben Kennedy was that good. And honestly, he should be talked about when they say who's the best all time back rowers and locks and they're grouping players. He should be said every time, he's in the every group. time, have who you want in the team yep. and everyone's different and that's fine, but there shouldn't be anyone who doesn't put him in the group to be discussed. Injuries is probably one of the only things that really took away from him yeah. a bit because he was marred with injuries that's and true. that stopped him. Mm. Like he only played 195 game, games in the NRL for his mm. clubs and that's, that really stopped him. Yeah. Um, but in saying that, it also accentuated his toughness because he was so hurt so many times in those 195 games. Yeah. But his his output was as good as what it would be if he was healthy. And that's, you know, so it can take away from his career a little bit, but it also in a lot of ways accentuates how good a player he was with his toughness. And I, I, I have to, I'll finish off by saying, like with Ben Kennedy, he only played 195 NRL games, but he scored 70 tries in those. But, he could do anything a team needed to win and he would do it. And he was, again, talking about those gifts that he didn't really have. It, what it, what all that means is because he was able to do the things without, you know, huge size and strength, without huge speed, without any, you know, real football talents, um, natural talents that a lot of guys have. What it all points to is an amazing IQ, mm. an amazing physical durability and a mental aspect of the game that very, very rarely you see in players these days, especially to the point that he's just a football player that went out there and played whatever football he needed to to win. And very few players can actually do that aside from the all-time greats of the game. Absolutely. Absolutely. He, um, It's funny. He moved back to Newcastle when he retired and he ran for a long time the Guzman Y Gomez in at Hamilton, then Newcastle in the centre. And <laughs> 10 years after he retired, you would still get me stuttering like a schoolgirl every time I went in there. And Because he, he, he actually worked in it too. He ran it. Him and his wife owned it. And he'd go up. Oh, that's such and a he'd Ben be Kennedy the thing to do. Working away in the shop, and go. What do you want? And I'd just, oh, uh, I'll, I don't know. Sorry, sir. Like, yeah, give me a big oh, Mac, please. Come on. And go, what do you recommend, BK? <laughs> it was such a thrill, even ten years on to see him. He's still that big physical presence. He's an absolute hero in Newcastle, and and like I said, I, one of the absolute greats of all time. I'm so thrilled you put him on the list for today. Well, it's a great one to finish on. Uh, 
If you enjoyed listening to Luke, he is the co-host of the Rugby League Cemetery podcast. I do urge you to go give it a listen, but you will hear him from time to time back on this one, I'm sure. Luke, thank you very much for your time and for chatting. I really appreciate it today. You you leveled me out a little bit on the Roosters being out. Uh, Thanks, mate. Keen to come back anytime. Always happy to be on. (laughs) Cheers. Anyone looking for the podcast, you can find us everywhere. SoundCloud, Spotify, Amazon, Audible, as well as, of course, iTunes. Definitely subscribe on there. Make sure you get the episodes as they hit. And also follow us on Twitter, NRL underscore SC underscore All Stars. And make sure that you hit up topsport.com.au, the best bookie in the world. Great sponsor of the NRL All Stars podcast. You can go on there with promo code SC All Stars, and then they'll take great care of you because they'll see you one of our listeners. Great game of footy this weekend on Friday, and then another equally good one on Saturday. Can't wait to watch them. Can't wait to talk all about finals week two next week. Hey now, you're an all-star, get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star, get the show on.